Welcome back to the Solidarity Podcast, where we share stories to connect with one another, find comfort in life's challenges, and to celebrate the solidarity that is being a woman. I'm your host, Riley. So last night, I laid in bed typing this up on my phone because my computer was not available to me as planned. Why, you ask? As I typed, I was snuggled up next to both of my boys, snoring away. We had a rough night. A night where our routine wasn't the norm, throwing off Hayden's dinner and then downward spiraling into a rough bedtime that resulted in an hour of tears, screaming, and throwing, which isn't normal for him. He ended up in bed with us, which we really, really, really didn't want, if you catch my drift. So angrily, we all went to bed. Hayden just had a slightly different reason. No one told me how hard this transition was going to be. I mean, I've heard it over and over again. Terrible twos, terrible threes, I've seen it. But one? I thought I had at least until he was almost two before the tantrums and opinions and misunderstandings would begin. But boy, was I wrong. And I don't say this to be all doom and gloom. It's going to be okay. But I wish someone would have at least told me that this was coming so soon so I could have been a bit more mentally prepared. So if you didn't know, now you do. Do without what you will. It's been rough. I mean, I have been prepping for gentle parenting since long before I had babies, but actually doing it, and especially with a one-year-old who can't communicate outside of grunts and screams, his hands and his body, it's tough. Sometimes, especially if I'm the least bit preoccupied or stressed or frustrated, it feels impossible not to snap, which isn't fair because he's still a literal baby who doesn't understand that it's not a good time and can't communicate what he needs and is frustrated. His frustration fuels mine and I feel his, and sometimes it's only something that can be diffused by Justin stepping in and taking over to meet our needs or me walking away or just stopping and hugging him and we all breathe and start again. Already, it's me apologizing and asking for forgiveness when I snap because he's not responsible for how I respond. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to break a long-running generational curse of anger and emotional manipulation. And it's hard. I cry a lot and I mess up a lot, but I'm trying. I've noticed that a lot of the tactics gentle parenting experts give are great, but they don't always work with itty-bitties. You have to adapt them to fit the needs of our littles, and it's literally constant trial and error. And I'll get into some of these in a second, but you should know that it starts with you. You set the tone and the mood for your household. If you're yelling at your kids and your husband, they're going to yell back and think that it's how you communicate in your household. If you're angry, the atmosphere is going to be angry. And I am the biggest offender, so don't think I'm judging you, but here's a few things that have recently helped me prevent anger and explosions. Which is ironic, because today was another day. The first one is prayer and scripture, daily, every morning. I know when this doesn't happen, like today, and our day did not go well. So, that is something that has to be prioritized every single morning. The second thing is gratitude and thanking God even for the hard stuff. Journaling about positive things and listing all my blessings puts me in a good headspace. The third is when I feel the anger bubbling, I go for affection, hugs, and kisses, and I go for a mood changer like happy music or a way to move my body to get aggression and pent-up negative energy out. There's nothing that can diffuse a tense situation more than just a hug. And especially when it's with people that you love, like your spouse, like your children. We do a lot of jumping and shaking and clearing and dancing around here. And it helps. And nothing diffuses anger more than seeing your little one laugh and dance and smile because mommy's happy. 
The fourth thing I do is I take preventative measures to already have happy music on or to recite scripture. And we keep a pretty structured approach to our day, so Hayden knows usually what's coming next. And I don't let this stop us from going places and doing things, but he knows in the afternoon he takes a nap, and when he wakes up, it's time for lunch, and then Daddy comes home, and it's time for dinner, and then we play and snuggle, and then he gets his milk and goes to bed. And that's why when we diverted from that last night and sat down and forgot about his dinner until way later because we ate while he took a late nap, that spiraled from there because the cycle was off and he was frustrated and he couldn't communicate that his needs weren't being met. I mean, I know how angry I get when my needs aren't getting met and I can communicate them. So I can't imagine how he must feel. So what about coping with the tantrums, the kicking, the screaming? How do you handle a child who can't even say yes or no? Well, I've come up with a list via the acrostic toddler to make it easy to remember. Now, this isn't necessarily an order of operations, but it'll give you a reminder of a toolbox to dig through when you want to prevent a tantrum or just handle one. So T stands for tangible options. O is for order. D is for deliberation. The other D is for done. The L is for let go. Explore is for E. And R is for relax. Let me go through those. So the first, tangible options. Kids need choices, right? You can sit down in your chair or you can be done with dinner and get down and stay safe. Now with the one-year-old, he doesn't know what half of this means. I still verbalize it so that he gets used to that, but with babies, you have to give tangible options that they can look at and practically see and touch and then decide and then when they see your follow-through, they'll start to catch on. This took a few weeks for Hayden to get, but I'm already finding he's doing better at making choices and he's taking time to think through actions even if he fully doesn't understand cause and effect and consequences and all that good stuff. But that's not the goal. The goal right now is to lay the foundation with consistency and intentionality. So in that case scenario, I would either point to his bottom and then the bottom of his chair, which is an action he understands, or point to down and sign to him all done, another thing he understands. See how you start with two concepts that they understand and are tangible so he can make a choice and know what the result will be. It may still result in a tantrum, but then you've established the consistency and you can choose the redirection tool to move them on to something else because that's one perk of babies. They forget what they want immediately and will move on if enticed. The second is order. Like I mentioned before, order is vital to a household. Kids understand patterns, which is why they thrive on routine. It's how they typically learn. So if you're not sticking with even a loose routine, your child is going to be more prone to throwing a fit because they're not getting their needs met and they have no idea when they'll get them met. Do your best to maintain even just a basic order of operations. And then as you go off throughout your day, talk to your child and tell them what's coming up next and when. This is a great way to redirect and make them feel like they have some sense of control and choice. Three, deliberation. Now, this would be better as step one, but toddler doesn't start with D. So, but before you give choices and go through an entire argument or interaction to try and calm your child, deliberately decide how you want to react and what you hope the outcome will be. And this is not their response, simply the end goal. For example, a peaceful transition from the park to the car to home. Not exactly how your child will react when you say it's time to go. Thinking this through will help you have a handle on how you want to proceed clearly and concisely as to not confuse or frustrate your child even more. Just as you choose your words carefully with an important client, you want to do the same with your kids so you can say what you mean and mean what you say and there's no confusion. Number four is done. Boundaries aren't bad. You are still the authority figure and so you have to establish boundaries with your kids. They thrive with them actually, even if the initial response doesn't seem like they do. 
Toddlers push boundaries and learn by doing. You can let them do dangerous things carefully with supervision, but sometimes it's just a no with a good reason that you can explain later when you redirect them. Or they're not choosing and they're in full meltdown mode, and so it's time to remove them until they've calmed down and can be safe and rational again. When they're done, they're done. Pick them up and walk away and hug them and let them react and be there for them to support their big emotions that you have too. When you're done, you're done, and you walk away and scream and cry and punch pillows, so why wouldn't they do the same? It's not bad behavior, it's their way of trying to get the pent-up frustration and energy out. Their bodies cannot contain it anymore, and just like adults after a meltdown, they don't fully understand why they did it. They just did, but when they feel better, and I think that's okay. It's healthier to get it out in a safe environment than to hold it all in. So be their safe environment. Give them a pillow to punch or softballs to throw in a basket or a hug or space to run around and kick and cry. Or if your child likes to express their anger in like an artistic way, give them something to draw on and tell them to draw how they feel. You may find that this naturally redirects them or you may find it gives them the space they need to react and then they settle into your lap for a cry or a hug or a big sigh and then it's time to move on and talk through what happened or redirect to the next activity. Number five is to let go. And this kind of goes back to the boundaries one, especially if you kind of got a little pit in your stomach when you heard me talking about boundaries and letting your kids express their emotions. This isn't something that is normal. This is kind of a new idea. So let go of your expectations of how your child should react. Let go of the ideas of outcomes and let go of the shame you feel because older generations told us it wasn't appropriate to let kids have emotions. The whole be seen and not heard type of idea. Unless they're the parent, they don't get to say if you're in control of your kid or not. Your child may be having their first meltdown in days in public because they've had a long overstimulating day and they're not understanding what you're asking them to do or not do or they just don't want to and they're tired And you're not going to stand there and explain to the old lady making a fuss that you've had a great week and why he's overstimulated. So let the comments roll off your back and stay focused on raising a child who can process and express emotion and have respect for people and have kindness and compassion in those situations. You can let your child have emotions without letting them run the show. So it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. They're not going to see how you're handling everything else in private and they're not going to see the whole process that you're going through to raise a well-rounded child. They're only seeing that specific moment. So you can't let their judgment define you or take over or make you change your parenting style because you're afraid of what other people think. So keep your eye on the goal and remember that you're only responsible for your response to your child. And by staying calm and sticking to the plan and redirecting and removing yourself when necessary, you're doing your best. Number six is explore. Let your kids explore, especially toddlers, dangerous things carefully. Remember, they'll want to climb the stairs. You're able to watch them and help them come down. Let them do it. Their curiosity will eventually get to them and they'll sneak off and do it in an unsafe way while you're not looking. So give them a chance to do it safely and then the luster is lost and they'll have experienced something new, gained a new tool, and then they'll move on to something else that's exciting to their brain. I challenge you to question yourself when you automatically blurt out no or don't do that. Ask yourself, why? Why can't they do it? Was I just not allowed to do it? Is it a social taboo? Is it actually dangerous or can I make it safe and approachable? Let them explore. It's so good for them and it's good for you too because when I just let Hayden be in safe perimeters, eventually he gets bored and moves back on to toys. Just give them some room. 
Number seven, the final one, is relax. Easier said than done, I know, but the more grounded you stay, the calmer they will be. Model shaking it out and clearing energy and working out and moving out stress and anxiety and anger. Show them how to move or sit and breathe when they're upset depending on what they need to regulate at that time. Hold space for their feelings. Model coping mechanisms and you'll find they start to do them. Relax about the outcome and relax about controlling everything they do. Relax about opinions. Relax about rules. Relax, play, and have fun. This time in your child's life is not going to last forever and it's going to go by really, really fast. And you don't want to look back and have more regrets because of how you restricted than you do fun memories with your children. And that doesn't mean giving up all rules and all boundaries and all sense of your sanity, but life is a lot more enjoyable when you let go of expectations and just roll with it and your kid's personality, attitude, and choices will reflect that. Trust me, I'm not perfect and you will catch me forgetting these tools often. I forget to calm down and breathe. I scream and I get angry and I stomp and slam doors and make things worse and then I remember and I see his face and he reminds me that I want to do better for him and so I calm and I apologize and I try again. I hand him off when I need to. I specifically set up times that he's going to be with other family members so that I can have a mental breather. If he's safe, I walk away if I need to for a second. I attempt life from his perspective because I'm the adult and it's my responsibility to be a source of safety and security for him. I attempt to remember how he communicated and rather than get angry when he's angry, I try to get to the root of it and react with meeting his needs and calming him instead of getting angry and lashing out and trying to withhold basic needs from him just for a power trip that doesn't do anyone any good now or long term. Meeting needs isn't giving in to bad behavior when you revisit the definition and how you view bad behavior, rewarding, punishment, discipline, and you realize that maybe that's the point. Meeting their needs is the point. Teaching them how to process emotions and communicate is the need. Discipline is more than punishment, and it's a tool to teach, not to abuse or use as a power play. You are here to teach, guide, and prepare. Discipline is necessary, consequences are inevitable, but how we approach and respond can mold a whole new generation of strong, confident, emotionally healthy human beings who know who they are in Christ, who love well, who process well, and have deep empathy because that's what was modeled to them. Faithful over fearful. Practice that with your kids and be faithful to their whole life and not just vindication and retaliation to fill a frustrating need right now and Prioritize faithful over fear and you'll see a major change in your household. This is something we have to retrain our brains with because most of us weren't raised this way. But that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. Our kids don't rule the roost, but remember, authority and empathy can be synonymous and really they should be. Strive to build them up, not to break them. Shape and help mold the parts of them that are sometimes difficult because those can end up being their best strengths. And remember, respect is a choice. But it's an easier choice to be made when it's regularly modeled and shared. Respect the beauty in how God made his children and gifted them to you. Stored this wisely and carefully to glorify him with gentleness and kindness, and you'll see a kind of kindness and respect and strength rise up in your children that you could have never imagined up on your own. So don't break. Build. And when you inevitably mess up, breathe, pray, repent, seek forgiveness, and make intentional choices to change and model that process because kids can pretend to make you happy all they want, 
But if they know how to deal with messy and hard and get real and vulnerable, they'll have the tools to work through anything, and that is a job well done. Thank you so much for listening in this week. Check out the show notes for information on how to connect over on Instagram or over email, and if you want, share your story and maybe even be in my next interview. I also want to throw it out there again. You can check out my new account, at Further and Free. I relaunched my virtual assistant business to help women further their businesses and creative endeavors by taking tasks off their plates and freeing up their time to work on their God-given gifts. So if you or someone you know is looking for support, reach out to me. I'd love to be of service. If you feel called to, please share with a woman who you know needs to be strengthened and encouraged. It would mean the world to me if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let me know how you like the show. Thanks again and be sure to subscribe and we'll meet back here next Wednesday for a new episode. As always, I'm so glad you're here. You are wanted, needed, and loved. I see you, I hear you, and you, my love, by the grace of God, you are enough.